It was Augustine who said, thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And one of the unintended consequences I think of um, our modern age, with all of our technology and all of our advancements, uh, is we've actually completely lost the ability to rest. We've completely lost the ability to rest, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because most of the things that were invented that we all uh, take advantage of, dishwashers, microwaves, whatever, they were actually invented for the purpose of giving us more rest. Right? We don't have to go fetch water now. We have indoor plumbing. We don't have to go out of the woods to go to the bathroom. You know, we can go in the house. Uh, you know, we have cars that get us places faster. We have cell phones. We can communicate instantly. We don't have to send messenger pigeons. Like, I don't know who does that. But, you know, they used to maybe. I don't know. Um, you know, we, we have all of these abil- all this ability to, to, to save time. But the crazy thing and the ironic thing is that we're less restful, I think, than we've ever been as human beings. Uh, it was uh, a man named... See if I can get his name right. John Maynard Keynes, who was an ec- economist in the 1930s from Britain, and he made a uh, interesting um, observation. He said, "I believe, uh, famously, he says, I believe that by the time my children grow to be adults, that the average person will only have to work 15 hours a week." Because technology will advance to such a point that we have so much free time. Think of all the things we don't have to do now. We have all of this extra time, right, to not have to do all of these things. And of course, the irony is here we are in 2020 with all this technological advancement, and the average person is working 50, 60, 70 plus hours a week. We're all busy. We never have time. The main thing people tell me every time I say, hey, how are you? How's it going? How's life? They say, I'm just so busy. Right? I'm so busy. I'm, I'm just so, I have so much going on. Um, and, and I just, and I feel tired. There's different kinds of rest, you know? There's different layers of rest. Um, there is physical rest. Sometimes you, you get physically down. You know, you just need to sleep. You just need some, you just need a break. And those of you guys that work physical jobs, you understand the importance of, of physical rest. And then there's, there's emotional rest. You know, sometimes you're just taxed. Like, I don't know about you guys, I, I have decision fatigue from 2020 and already 2021. Like, I just need a break from any hard decisions. Like, don't make me do anything hard, okay? Um, so, I, you know, there's, there's, there's emotional fatigue. Uh, there's relational fatigue. You guys know what I mean? Like, you're just, it's, it was just Christmas, so some of you guys don't like your families, and you're like, that was relational fatigue. I need a break from relational things. And those are all fairly easy to get at, all fairly easy to access. But there's a layer of rest that we just can't seem to get to very easily sometimes. It's the layer of rest that that no matter what your environment is, no matter what your circumstances are, you just can't seem to get at it. It's just sort of that dull ache in you. It's, it's just that, 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 that moment where, where someone that knows you and loves you and that you, you, you don't put on a face to says, how are you, looking in your eyes and you just look at him and you just say, I'm tired. And I don't know how to rest from this. I'm tired. I wanna call that deep rest. Deep rest. It's the, it's the rest that's not easy to get at. It's the, it's the rest that's not easy to create. It's the rest that's not cir- <laughs> circumstantial. It doesn't come and go based on you know, your environment. This interesting thing happened when I was 19. My parents invited me to go to Kauai, which was awesome, you know, on their bill. So I'm like, sweet, I'll go. You know, 19-year-old. I was a Christian, you know, but I was just very, very discontent, very selfish, very self-centered. And I had always heard growing up, Hawaii is like the best place in the world. Like, that's the place you rest, right? If 
you're gonna rest somewhere, it's in Hawaii. Sandy beaches, and Kauai is the best island. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's just like, it's, it's where they filmed Jurassic Park, the Nepali coastline, big green mountains and waterfalls, and the water is warm, and I was snorkeling, and all the food is f- paid for, and everything is great. It was the most miserable two weeks of my life. I literally was like, I was having like a, like a, like a crisis in Hawaii. I couldn't figure out why. And you know what it was? It, it, it was, first of all, it was that I assumed because I was in this place that I was gonna find rest. It was in a stressful time in my life. And I went to Hawaii assuming that just being in Hawaii was gonna make me rest. And I realized after day one, I came with me. <laughs> I brought myself with me here and therefore I can't rest. And then I had this panic moment, like if I can't rest in Kauai, what is wrong with me? It was really stressful. And it just made me realize, you know, that there is a layer to rest that I can't get at. And I think that's what Augustine is getting at here. Thou hast made us for thyself, speaking of the Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I don't know if anyone in here feels like they have a restless heart, but I so did this week. And this was so helpful for me. What we're going to look at this morning is so interesting. It's so interesting because it's literally the genesis of rest. You know, the word Genesis, again, means just beginnings. And Genesis is the book of a lot of beginnings. We've talked about this. It's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of humanity. It's the beginning of, of animals. And it's the beginning of, it's beginning of all kinds. of the beginning of, of sin. It's the beginning of redemption. It's the beginning of uh, the Abrahamic covenant. It's the beginning of all of these different things. But one thing that it's a beginning of that we don't hear as much about is it's actually the beginning of rest. We learn about the origin of rest, where rest came from, where rest started. And sometimes the best way to see what rest actually is is to, to go back and see what was it intended to be. And what can we learn about it by sort of dissecting it? So we're only going to look at these three verses um, today, but here's, what I, here's how I want to come at this. The question I want to answer with you this morning is how do we live a life of deep rest? How do we live a life of deep rest? And, and even more than that, how do we live what I would call the Sabbath life? The Sabbath life, a life of rest. How do we become restful presences? Presences? How do we become a restful presence in people's life? How do we do that? And the way I want to come at this, if you're a note taker, I want you to see rest as four things. I want you to see rest as four things. Number one, I want you to see rest as a reminder. I want you to see rest as a revealer. I want you to see rest as a person. And I want you to see rest as a priority. A reminder, a revealer, a person, and a priority. You know, rest literally starts with God. And I know that sounds like a fridge magnet kind of thing to say. You know, rest begins with the Lord. Like, but no, literally, rest begins with God. Like rest originated with God. He created it, he made it. And he made it as a reminder. He made it as a reminder. Now we need, the, the first thing we need to ask of this passage, the first thing we need to ask of this passage is number one, why is God resting? Let's read it again, it's really short. Verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And this is so interesting. If you can remove everything that you know about Sabbath from the book of Exodus and and from the New Testament and you can get rid of all that and you can just think about this passage in its context, this is really stunning. It's really intriguing. It's really interesting. God is creating every day. He has sort of a different uh, checklist of things, um, day one, day two, all the way through day six. And then he gets to day seven and he doesn't create anything. 
But what's actually interesting, actually interesting is he actually does create something on the seventh day. He creates rest. God in that moment institutes the reality of rest into the universe. He stitches it into the very DNA, into the very fundamental level of the cosmos. It is part of his creation. Rest is part of creation. So you could say, oh, well, why didn't God do anything on the seventh day? He did do something. He rested. And by resting, he created rest as something that is now part of the world. Uh, and, and consequently, rest is actually where all of creation will ultimately reside. Now, why is God resting? Why is God resting? Let me first of all say why God's not resting. Why is God not resting here? First of all, God's not resting for man's sake. You know, we think about God resting on the seventh day, and, and, and I used to think, well, God was just setting a good example because he knew humans were gonna get tired and he knew that, that he needed to make sure they had a break, you know? So, but that's kind of funny because I don't know that work was really tiresome until sin, right? I mean, work became tiresome when the fall came. And, and, and that was part of the curse, right? That, that Adam would work the ground and it would be hard and it would bring forth thorns and thistles. So, so why does Adam need to rest from work? I don't think that's the reason that God took the seventh day was primarily for Adam to rest. It wasn't for man's sake. And by the way, man's not mentioned in the passage. Did you notice that? There's no mention of man. This isn't in the cultural mandate. God didn't say, go fill the earth. Oh, and you better take a day off. That didn't come later until the Mosaic covenant. Okay, so, so man's not mentioned here. Man isn't told to rest. This is something God is doing totally on his own. This is something that God has decided to do completely apart from man. He's not doing it in, in, a, in a preparation or an anticipation for sin entering the world. He's not going, well, Adam's going to blow it and then work's going to be cursed and everyone's going to get tired, so I better preemptively create a seven-day work week where you get a day off. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. He's also not taking a day off because he's tired, and that goes without saying, right? God's, God's not exhausted. He's not like, oh, I can't create anymore. I need a day off. He's not doing that. And he's also not out of creativity. God doesn't run out of creativity. He could have continued to create. He could have continued to create um, animals and plant life, more stars, more galaxies, more moons. He could have continued to fill creation with all of his new, he could have made more colors. He could have made all kinds of things, but God stopped where he stopped. He ceased. So why is God resting? Well, the first answer is really simple. He's resting because he's done. He's resting because he's finished. Resting just means to cease. And, and it doesn't mean that he stopped working. Did you know if God ever stopped working, you would cease to exist? If God just, just decided to right now, if he just decided to let go, you know what's, you know what's keeping the entire cosmos together right now? God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. So God taking the seventh day off isn't God taking the seventh day off from working. Jesus said, right, he said, my father in heaven is working, therefore I am working as well. God's always working. What is he ceasing from? He's ceasing from creating. He's ceasing from creating, not, not from working. He's ceasing from creating because the creation is done. It is finished. The creation can't get any better. You know, one of the, the uh, keys to being a good artist is knowing when to stop coloring. It's like knowing when to stop and don't clutter it. 
you know? It's like, it's like if you're doing home decor, you know, you may not want to stick as many chairs as you possibly can in the, in the room. I mean, you may not want to put pictures on every square inch unless you're like my mom, and she's listening so I can say this, uh, and, and you put, you know, family pictures all the way down the hallway, which was a thing for a while. I don't think people do that anymore because we have smartphones. We have pictures on our smartphones. Anyway, you know, it, sometimes good art knows when to stop. Like, sometimes good art has contrast, has space between things, you know? So why does God stop? Why does God cease? Because the creation is done. It can't get any better. If he had continued to create, it would have actually detracted from the beauty and the perfection of it. And so God stops and he takes a day to commemorate the perfection of what he just did. So it's not about resting. Now, when sin enters the picture, it becomes about resting because we become tired. And I don't mean good tired, I mean bad tired. There's a good tired and there's a bad tired. God introduces the Sabbath for the purpose of not rejuvenate, not, he, he, not for rejuvenating, but for commemorating. He, he introduces the Sabbath into reality as a way for all of the creation to appreciate that God made stuff and it turned out really good and it's finished. Isn't that cool? So before you get to Exodus and before you get into all the other things that we know about the Sabbath, just taking the passage on its own, you need to realize that God has created something and he's created it really, really good and it's called rest and you should want it. You should desire to get in line with the reality of the way God created the universe and the way God created the universe is he stitched rest into it. To deny your need for rest is to deny the way God created the universe. I want you to see two things God does to the Sabbath. First of all, he blesses it. Look at verse three. So God blessed the seventh day. Now, isn't that kind of weird? God's blessing a day. I mean, why is he blessing a day? Did the day sneeze? Thank you, Levi. I mean, <laughs> dude, I'm, my humor is off point today. That was like one of those things that popped into my mind. And I was like, should I say it? Sure, why not? You guys would be impressed if you knew how many jokes popped into my head that I didn't say. You'd be like, wow, Sam, like really good job, man. Like, Stupid. Okay. God blesses the day. This is kind of random. Like, why, how do you bless a day? And what does it mean to bless a day? Well, listen to Kent Hughes has a comment on this. It's helpful. He said, God made the seventh day spiritually fruitful. Uh, by the way, th there's three things God blesses in creation. Uh, one of them is the animal kingdom. The other one is the human, or is humans, humanity. He blesses them. And the third is the Sabbath. What do all, all three of those things have in common? They're all ability, they all have the ability to reproduce. Okay, animals have the ability to reproduce. Animals, humans have the ability to reproduce. And the Sabbath has the ability to reproduce. Reproduce what? Well, listen to his quote. God's blessing bestows on this special, holy, solemn day a power which makes it fruitful for human existence. The blessing gives the day, which is a day of rest, the power to stimulate, animate, enrich, and give fullness to life. Isn't that interesting? And note this. The seventh day is one of perpetual spiritual spring, a day of multiplication and fruitfulness. What that means, guys, is that God, when he took the Sabbath and he created it, when he took the rest, the day of rest, he intrinsically put into it a blessing that is accessible. He blessed the day. He made the day fruitful. So you could say it this way. The day is pregnant with opportunity for rest and life. The second thing he does, he not only blesses it, but he also sanctifies it. You notice that in verse three, he says, uh, so God blessed the seventh day and made it what? Holy. 
What is, something, what, what is it to make something holy? It's to set it apart. So basically God says this day, the seventh day, this idea of rest, I'm gonna bless it and then I'm gonna set it apart for my purposes. I have something in mind that I'm gonna do with this, this idea of rest. Okay, so he blesses it, he, he sets it apart. So in other words, the, uh, the idea of rest in the seventh day is hallowed, it's consecrated, it's sacrosanct. It's sanctified. It's set apart for his purposes. God's going to do something with it. So why did God rest? And I think the answer is, is very simple. Just to summarize, God is creating a Sabbath principle here. He's creating a Sabbath reality. He's creating an eternal Ebenezer. Do you know what an Ebenezer is? It's not Scrooge. Don't go to Christmas. And Ebenezer was like a pile of rocks. It was something that was meant to commemorate or remind future generations of something. God finishes creating the heavens and the earth. He does a really good job because he's God. Couldn't have done it any better. It's beautiful. It's finished. It's perfect. And then he sets up an Ebenezer stone. He sets up an eternal rememberer of what he did in his perfect creation. And it's called Sabbath. It's called rest. It's really beautiful. It's really amazing. Rest wasn't about stopping to rejuvenate. It was about stopping to commemorate and appreciate his good work. Now, I would suggest to you that what God had in mind when he created rest was not primarily to cease from work, although that, that has something to do with it, and we'll get into it in a minute. I would suggest to you, and this is important, that when God created rest, what he really meant, what rest really is, at its very nucleus, at its very core, what rest really is, is not ceasing from work, it is beginning to worship. Rest is about reflection. That was what God had in mind when he made the seventh day. The seventh day was a time for God to stop and delight in what was finished. And the reason that he calls you not to work on that day is not because work is intrinsically evil. Here's the reason why, because work pulls you out of what is and pulls you into what isn't. Work has a forward lean to it. Rest has a backward lean to it. Work says what needs to be done, what isn't created yet. You're sitting on your couch and you look over and you go, man, the kitchen really needs to be cleaned. In that moment, it pulls you out of the, the contentment and the praise of being present and it pulls you into the I need to go whatever. That's what work does, which is really good, six other days of the week. It's good to have ambition. God is a, a redemptive God. He's in the business of progress and moving things forward. But one day a week, he says, I want you to be. I just want you to be. I want you to be present. I want you to be still. I don't want you to get up and think all the things you have to do. I don't want you to think about what isn't. I want you to focus on what is. And that's what God's doing when he rests. He stops to appreciate all that is, all the beauty of what he's already made all the contrasts of the colors and the diversity of the animals. I mean, you ever watch these nature shows? I mean, it's insane what God created. It's beautiful. And the very pinnacle of that is human beings. We're infatuated with human beings. Human beings are interesting. Why do you think Hollywood makes money? God's creation is immense. And God is so impressed with his own creation that he takes a whole day to commemorate it. And he programs into the DNA of human life in such a way that you and I would remember that we need to do the same thing. We need to stop, and we need to look back, and we need to go, God, you are good, and you have created good things. You are a good God. I love this. Write this down. God made sure man's work week started with his finished work. 
You know the first thing man saw when he came into life? God resting. Isn't that interesting? God could have created Adam, set him up on a shelf in the cosmos somewhere, and said, Adam, I want you to see how I work. For six days, I'm gonna work, and I want you to see how I, how I take the formless void and shape it. I want you to see how I bring animals and plant life and, and birds, and I, I want you to see how I separate the light from the darkness so that Adam could learn to be a really good worker. God doesn't do that. He waits to create man until the very end. Man is the last thing that God creates, and when he creates man, man takes his first breath and awakens to a God at rest. Why? Because God wants us to learn to rest more than he wants us to learn to work. It's not that God doesn't care about work. It's not that he isn't concerned with you working. But resting, I would say, I would argue, resting is actually the harder thing to do. And I'm not talking about sitting on your couch watching Netflix, by the way. Not that there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're watching The Mandalorian, right? Resting is much more than just ceasing to be busy. Resting here is stopping to reflect. It's stopping to look back at what God has done. Man's best work comes out of God's best rest. Man's best work comes out of God's best rest. And this is the backdrop. Um, understanding this text is the backdrop for, for the Mosaic law. Okay, so, so God took this Sabbath principle, the Sabbath reality, this eternal Ebenezer. He took it and he utilized it for his purposes in the Mosaic covenant. So in the Decalogue, you know what the Decalogue is? It's the Ten Commandments. Okay, uh, it was the very heartbeat of the, the Mosaic covenant. This is what God said in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. By, by the way, Moses gives more commentary here or I should say God gives more explanation about this commandment than any other commandment in the 10. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. It's a day off even for your animals. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. Rest is universal, right? For in the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it. Okay, now every covenant that God made with man had a symbol. So the covenant of Noah, what was the symbol? Come on, guys. No. No. I'm, I, I just, we got work to do. <laughs> the rainbow was the covenant symbol. Okay, and we need to take the rainbow back, by the way. It's been, it's been taken away from us. Uh, we need to take it back. Okay, so the rainbow was the covenant symbol of the Noahic covenant, okay? Um, what was the symbol of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Made the cut, good job. Um, that was not in my notes, I swear. I was that too far? Hey, you know, 31-year-old pastor. <laughs> what do you expect? Okay. Anyways, um, so the circumcision was the sign of that. And then the Mosaic Covenant, what was the sign of faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant? It was Sabbath. So God, when, when he's looking to make covenant with his people and to form the people of Israel, the theocracy, the people of God, when he goes to form that, he says, what am I going to use to be the picture, to be the, to be the sign of the covenant? It's going to be Sabbath. And so God used that. And why would he use that? I believe it's, it's very simple. I believe it's because God wants his people to be those who rest through remembrance. He wanted the Jews to be those that every week they would stop and reflect on God's goodness. 
Just as a side note, can you imagine if you were um, a Hebrew who was a slave in Egypt? You grew up, you never knew anything but slavery. You never knew anything but the whip of Pharaoh. And you know what? You didn't get a day off. Day off was not in your vocabulary. If you're a slave, you don't get a day off. Your entire life. And then Yahweh comes into the picture. He sends Moses the prophet, and, and, and you're free, and you're set free out of the wilderness. And then uh, God comes down to Mount Sinai, and he gives you his law, and he gives you his rule. And then built into the law, he says, you have to take a day off. You're thinking, wow, what's a day off? What a great, can you imagine how overcome with thankfulness you would be, that the gracious God, that Yahweh would give you a day off? I mean, these guys, and that was the, that was the feeling that God had intended for the Sabbath to have for the Hebrews. It was, it was intended to remind them every week of God's goodness, that God is a creator, that he creates good things. And consequentially, we know that what the Jews did was they took a really good thing and they made it a really bad thing. They took this idea of Sabbath, which was a grace of God for his people to have rest and to to, to stop and remember. They took it and they made it into bondage, didn't they? You know, the, the Pharisees wrote commentaries on the commentaries on the commentaries trying to quantify and qualify what was considered Sabbath sin. Can, can I brush my teeth? Can I go to the store? You know, they literally went so far as, as to say, well, you can't leave your house because it's Sabbath, but if you tie a string to your door, you can go as far as that string will allow you because technically you're still touching the house. How stupid is that? The Sabbath law, it was, a, it was a bondage ultimately. It was a bondage. Jesus had a lot to say about it. In Mark, 20, or Mark 2, 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So they're, they're grabbing a snack. Not a big deal. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did? Your hero, David, when he was in need and he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. In other words, he's saying, why aren't you concerned about what David did? What he did was way worse than me and my guys eating some grain. But 27 is stunning. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath is not ultimate. Its purpose is to get you to God. If Sabbath becomes God, it becomes faulty. It becomes bondage. So so Jesus isn't eliminating the idea of Sabbath. He's he's reorienting. He's saying the Sabbath exists to get your eyes on God because that's where true rest comes. And then this last verse is Breathtaking. So he says, the son of man, who was his favorite name for himself, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know what he's saying right there? I'll just make it real simple. I am God. Who has sovereignty over the Sabbath? Who created it? God did. I mean, Jesus is, is, is astounding. He's, being, he's I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath, and I made it so that you would see the truth of who I am. And here you are completely missing Jesus when he comes in the flesh. And then again in Mark 3, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? 
but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. It's one of the few places that we see Jesus displaying anger and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Of course, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus is upset. He's frustrated because the very thing he created in Genesis 2 to be a point of remembrance and rest and life and rejuvenation for his people has been taken and used to create slavery. Okay, it's been used to create slavery. What is the undoing of that? So we've seen, now I want you to see, just to summarize here, I want you to see rest, first of all, as a reminder. I want you to see it's something that God stitched into this world for us to remember his goodness, but that's not all. Secondly, I want you to see rest as a revealer. Rest as a revealer. You know, my unwillingness and my inability to rest says a lot about my faith. And I'll just be honest with you guys, like rest is hard for me. It is hard for me to stop. I don't know if you guys can relate with that, but, but it is hard for me to stop. And the reality is, is because it's hard for me to stop, the reason it's hard for me to stop is because I have a faith issue going on there. God used the symbol of Sabbath for the Mosaic Covenant. He used it for a particular reason. And one of those reasons was because he knew that it would be a tell of whether or not the Hebrews were actually trusting the Lord. You know what a tell is? Um, so if you're a sailor, you tie a little piece of string to one of the, uh, the masts or something, and that little tell lets you know whichever way the wind is going, right? So God created this Sabbath law, and he did so knowing that the Sabbath would reveal where Israel was at with God. And here's, <laughs> here's why it was so hard. Okay, so once a week, they were called to take the day off. Okay, and you're saying big deal. Like, what's, isn't taking a day off a good thing? Um, I like taking days off, right? Well, when you, uh, you live in 2020 and you can get Instacart and you can have food delivered to your house and, and you have indoor plumbing and you have food in your freezer and you got nothing to worry about, you can take a day off. But for these guys in an agrarian society where they're dirt poor, taking a day off literally means we may not eat today. I mean, our, plant, our, our crops may not get planted. So this, this was a severe sign of faith and trust in God. And then it gets even crazier than that. God said, I want you to take a day off every week. And then he said, I want you to take a year off every seven. It's called the Sabbath year. Literally, they were not supposed to plant in that year. They were supposed to let the land go. And you know what's crazy? Israel never once did it. Why? Because they didn't believe that God was gonna make up the difference. See, rest in that moment was a revealer. Rest was showing that they actually didn't really trust God. Just a little fun fact for you. You know how many Sabbath years Israel didn't obey? 70. You know how many years Israel was in captivity in Babylon and the land was at rest? 70. Israel made up every one of those years. You know, the reality is, is you're gonna rest whether you like it or not. Uh, there's, there's some studies out right now that are kind of interesting that people that are strict Sabbath, Sabbath takers, people that take a day off of rest, I don't just necessarily mean religiously, but people that take a day off actually live an average of 20 years longer. You know, it's funny, if you add up all the days uh, that you don't take a day off, it ends up being pretty close. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You're, 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 you know, there, there is something built into that. There's a health built into that. God knew what he was doing. And when he created the law, 
He did such in such a way that the Sabbath would show whether or not his people were trusting him. And like Israel, I don't know about you guys, but like Israel, every time I refuse to rest, it's a sign that I don't trust God. It's a sign that I don't believe he can handle it. While I'm like, like if I turn my phone off, will the world stop spinning? If I don't answer that email, will, will, will literally everything come unhinged? Like, will World War III break out? I mean, I am pretty important, right? God forbid. Our inability to rest should be a symptomatic symbol for us of our inability to trust God to make up the difference. And we got it easy. We got it. Not only did God tell him to take a Sabbath year and a Sabbath day, he told him to take something called the Jubilee, which was every 49 years, they literally had to forgive every debt. All land went back to its original owner. Every slave was free. Complete system reset. Every 49 years, Israel never did it. And it said something about their faith. And I would, just, I would just call you, I would press you a little bit on this point to say, take a look at your life and ask the question, how am I doing at resting? My wife does this really cool thing with the kids. She, she got it from uh, Jeff Vanderstel. It's, it's called Fruit to Root. And uh, you, you draw two trees on a piece of paper. And you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm putting forth fruit in my life that is not godly. So with my kids, it's usually them yelling at each other or fighting or something. So let's, let's put down the, f- the fruit. What is the fruit that I'm not liking in my life? Okay, maybe it's a lack of rest. I don't feel rest. I, don't f- I feel uh, anxious. I feel angry. I feel like I'm tired. I, wh- that's the fruit I don't want to see, okay? Well, what is the root of that fruit? <laughs> what am I believing that is causing me to do this? Well, if it's lack of rest, I mean, you, you very well are probably believing that you're more important than you really are. But you can't take a day off. God forbid, you know, that, that you tell people, I can't be there, I'm sorry. It's, you know, every bit of fruit is attached to a root, and the root is something that you believe. And so what my wife will do on this too is she'll say, okay, that's the root that, that, that you, you shouldn't be believing that way. Now go over to the other tree. What's the thing you should be believing? We should be believing that God is sovereign, that God is on the throne, that God is in control, uh, that the gospel doesn't orbit around your ability to perform, that it is finished, that God is good, that it is done, that God's work is complete, that he's, he's bigger than your uh, anxieties and fears and stresses. Okay, that's the thing you should be believing. That's called believing the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, what is the fruit of that? You become a, not an anxious presence, you become a calm presence. You become a restful presence. You become a, a stabilizing force in your family. You're not, you're not the person that when you come over at Christmas, they go, oh, this person is just so unstable. You bring life into your family. You bring life into your workplace. You bring life into your church. You bring life into your relationships because you're believing the right things. And the reality is our inability to rest should remind us oftentimes that we are not believing the gospel. If I'm not resting, it's because I'm not believing the gospel. Will you remember that? If you're not at rest... It's because you're not believing the gospel and, and that leads right into my third point and that is that I need you to see rest not as a thing but as a someone. Rest is a person is my third point. Rest is a person. The problem is we think about rest as being a situation. We think about being situational. If I could just get to this place, then I'd be at rest. If I could just retire, if I could just get to the weekend, if I could just get to this trip, if I could just get my kids moved off, if I could just get, 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 get. It's all circumstantial. But the reality is deep rest is not a place, it's a person. It's not a substance, it's a someone. True rest is interfacing and interacting with the one who is rest. The one who is rest. Christ is that rest. He makes a stunning statement 
In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all who labor. I know you're familiar with this passage, but try to, try to take off the familiar glasses here and just think about this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He's saying to the tired, to the broken, to the frustrated, to the burned out, come to me. He says, he doesn't say come to a place. He doesn't say come to a religious institution. He doesn't say come to a program. He doesn't say come to a temple. He doesn't say come to anything. He says, come to me. He says, me, it's me. I am rest. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, he's saying, take my expectations on you. Do what I ask you to do. Stop letting everyone else dictate your joy. Let me be the one that tells you what to do. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's talking about deep rest. He's not talking about physical labor. He's talking about the person that has been beating their head against the wall trying to do enough to feel God's favor for year after year after year. He's talking about the person that is, has been trying and trying and trying to find relational restoration and, and, and can't in a specific area. He's talking about the person um, that, that is plagued daily, weekly with their own depression and anxiety. He's talking about the person that is, is just spending money and money and money trying to, to, to take away the, the ache for rest that they have. He's saying, that person, I want you. You come to me and I'll give you rest. That's who he's talking to. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, you have to think about rest as a person. Rest comes when you come to him. And maybe you're saying, Sam, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yesterday, uh, it's, been, it's been a long month. You know, we got this foster baby, which is amazing, but we just haven't really been getting a lot of sleep. And because we haven't been getting a lot of sleep, I, my, my time with the Lord, usually 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., that's my time with the Lord. And, and that time has become like, I'm just, any sleep I can get, I'll take it. And I've just been missing the Lord. And, and yesterday I came into work, and so I'm just gonna take the next half an hour, and I'm just gonna sit before the Lord. And I'm going to begin to acknowledge his presence and begin to worship what I'm thankful for him. I'm going to begin to be present in what is and what has been done, what has been completed, instead of thinking about what is not. And it was incredible how the peace of God came over me. And you know what I found? I was only there for four hours and then it went away. I found deep rest. I found deep rest because I remembered that it's about him. I remember that it's about what he did. There's a parallel you have to see. What does God say in Genesis 2 when he, when he, when he is about to rest? You know what he says? He rests because it is finished. He rests because it's done. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's just poured out his blood, his atoning blood, he's, 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 he's given his life for sinners and he's taken sin on himself in order that he might give perfection and righteousness to the lost. What words does he utter? It is finished. Why is he doing that? Because just like God's creative work was finished in Genesis 2, God's redemptive work was finished on the cross. And the way that we find rest is not in work. The way we find rest is at the cross. It's in the finished work of Christ. It's the only place that we find rest. I want you to see rest as a reminder, a revealer, a person. And lastly, I want you to see rest as a priority. I want you to see rest as a priority. And I know that you guys, including myself, I know that we don't. We don't see it as a priority. 
We don't see it as a priority. Uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not just talking about taking a day off. I'm not just talking about leisure. See, leisure is something we have a lot of in our culture, actually. What I'm talking about is deep rest. I'm talking about setting aside, carving out sanctified time to worship God, to reflect on God, who he is, what he's done. That's what I'm talking about. And I want you to see rest as a priority. This is the discipline of rest. The world needs to feel the peace of the kingdom of God, not the angst of this world. And the way that we bring the peace of the kingdom of God into the angst of this world is that we be those who are disciplined in our rest, those that spend time with the Father. And we bring that peace into these particular situations. So here's some practical things to think about. How do we prioritize deep rest? How do we prioritize this? First of all, I, I want you guys to see the blessing I want you to see the blessing. The, 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 the reality of Sabbath for the new covenant Christian is not a burden. It's, it's not part, you know, we're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. We're in a new covenant. We're in a new covenant with Christ. Okay, and so, so Sabbath for us, it's not a burden. I want you to see what it was intended to be. It was meant to be a blessing to you. And, and because when God created, you know, it's kind of like marriage. When God created marriage, he blessed that marriage. He, he put blessing into it. He, 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 he made it to where you can realize the blessings of that marriage. And in the same way, God created Sabbath. He created that day of rest. And if you press into it, it yields back fruit. I would encourage you guys to try to say, God, I'm gonna believe that you created it this way. You created the universe this way. You created it to where I was designed to take a day to honor you, designed to take a day to worship you, designed to take a day off, to step out of the what isn't and to step into the what is. So I would challenge you to see the blessing. I would challenge you to see the sanctity of it. God called it holy. When God calls something holy, it's pretty important. He called it holy. He said, this is important. And he never revoked that. He never revoked that. I would challenge you to assume that you won't do it. Okay, just assume that you won't do it. You know, the most important things that you ever do in life are almost always the things you won't do unless you're intentional about it. You have to be intentional about it. You have to plan for it. When I was in Israel, it was the funniest thing. Uh, Friday, so they Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And uh, the, the town, we were in, uh, we were in Jerusalem on Sabbath. And, and uh, the city was just bustling. There's people everywhere. More than, any, more than any other day I had been there, there was just people everywhere. People grocery shopping, people traveling, just get everything they needed to get done. And then five o'clock, I think it was, hit on Friday night. And it was like ghost town. Just the Americans and the people that aren't Israelis walking around. I mean, it was crazy. The town just went flat. But you know what was so crazy is that the reason that those guys rest so well, the reason those guys Sabbath so well, is because they're getting ready on Friday. They're anticipating Saturday. They're thinking, I'm gonna get everything ready and prepared so that on Saturday we can take a day off. You know, it's kind of what we do on Christmas, isn't it? It's why Christmas is so restful for some of us. Uh, this is why Christmas is so restful. Some of you moms might be like, oh, I'm cooking food on Christmas. It's restful because you spend a month preparing for that day. You know, like this, this year, it's like we bought some Papa Murphy's, we threw it in the fridge because we didn't want to cook that day. So we got, up on, we got up on Christmas Day, we just threw it in the oven. It was great. Paper plates in the garbage. So whatever it takes, but it takes intentionality. I would just challenge you guys, set up one day every week that is a day that is sanctified, set apart for the purpose of worshiping, remembering God's goodness. Be intentional about it. Be intentional. You are, in many ways, the sum total of your habits. 
Make it a habit. There's a reason that God stitched it into a cyclical work week. There's a reason it comes up every seven days because he wants you to remember every seven days. And lastly, I just would press you on one more thing and that is I would find a time every day where you have to practice not being God. I'll, I'll tell you how that this is gonna look like for me. It's turning my phone off. Our phones give us the illusion of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. What I mean by that is omniscience, meaning our phones make us think that we can know everything. Omnipotence, meaning our phones make us think that we can have control over everything. And omnipresence makes, uh, means we think our phones will allow us to be everywhere with everyone and all the time. It puts us in the position where we start to think we're God. And, and the fact that we can't power the dumb things off makes me think that maybe we think we are God. Do a test with yourself this week. See if you can do it. See if you can turn your phone off. See if you can go off the grid. See if you can not put something into your brain. See if you can not focus on anything but the Lord for just a few hours and see how you do. It may tell you a lot. It may tell you a lot about where you're at. I would just practice not being the Lord, not being controlled. That's where rest really comes in. Rest really starts when you give up. Rest really comes when you say, Lord, I'm, I'm in. I throw out the towel. I'm done. So again, Augustine, thou has made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I would encourage you guys this week to press in to Christ because rest is in him, amen? Never stop seeking rest. You were made for it. You were created for it. The reason you ache for rest is because God designed you for it. He made you for it. And he also built into this world an avenue for you to achieve it. But it all starts with the finished work of Christ. Don't make the mistake of thinking if you're just disciplined enough, you'll be a rested person. It all starts with the finished work of Christ. True rest starts with the gospel. Man's best work starts with God's best rest. It is finished. Amen? Father, we thank you for Genesis 2. We thank you for rest. And Lord, I, I know that we're tired. It's been a tiring year. There's a lot to be tired from. And, and God, I know that the only way we're truly gonna feel rest is if we let go of the reins. And we believe that, Jesus, you are enough. You are sufficient. Your work is sufficient. God, you're so good to us. You're so kind and you're so patient. And I just pray for this, this flock. I pray for this family, Lord, that they could build rhythms of rest into their life, that, that they could be those that set apart time for you, make space for you to interact with you, to set in your presence, to behold you. God, nothing matters more than you. Help us to live our lives in such a way that remind us of that, Father. And God, as we break into groups, have some discussion this morning, Lord, I pray you would bless this discussion time, Father. And Lord, that we would be able to minister to one another, that we would be Christians that are not merely spectators, but are participants, that we would learn to practice talking about the gospel. Lord, I pray for vulnerability and, and humility to be able uh, to share openly with groups, even with strangers, Lord, what, what's going on in our lives. Lord, help us be the church right now as we interact uh, around these questions. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.